Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back from vacation, Coach Paula. It was a great vacation. Yes, it was. It was good to get away with the entire family, and we had great weather. As far as I know, no one was sunburned. We were at the beach. Gulf Shores, Alabama. First time to Gulf Shores, and it was nice. A little surprised by how busy some of the restaurants were, but we we worked it out. We started planning a day in advance where we're going to eat, calling it in early, and picking it up. Not much different than what we do back home. Yeah, I mean, there were plenty of memorable moments, and I guess the first memorable moment was the trip from Owensboro to Gulf Shores. Bethany and I left at 6 a.m., and normally it's about hour 50, hour 55 minutes to get to the north side of Nashville. We were three hours into the trip and still on the north side of Nashville. And although it was extremely frustrating, we were thankful that whatever caused both the northbound and southbound lanes of I-65 to shut down did not involve any of our vehicles that were on the road. Yeah, that's a great perspective to have, thinking back to the traffic jams we experienced. It's easy to get frustrated that this eight-and-a-half-hour drive turns into a 12-hour drive, but it could be a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse, but Bethany was the only driver in our car, and she was exhausted by the time we got there, but she was a trooper. And you were in the other car. You were with Jacob and Shelby and the baby, which I don't know at what point we're going to quit calling Eliane the baby. When we have another grandchild, I guess. Oh, well, then she might always be the baby if the children decide they don't Maybe. want to have other children, which would be fine. She can just be the baby. Well, the baby is going through potty training, so our vehicle stopped about every 90 minutes so that she could sit in the back of the vehicle on her little portable potty. And she's getting so good at going potty. She has her moments Mm -hmm. of doing great, and then she has her moments of not doing so great. But she'll get there. She has the rest of her life figured out, right? Rest of her life. (laughs) So Bethany and I get there first, but we only make two or three stops on the way down, we weren't stopping every 90 minutes. But even though you guys left 20 minutes after us, at one point, we were at the same stop at the same time. That's how stuck in traffic we got. But Jacob said it benefited you guys, which is good for Ellie, too, that we had let you all know. And you took a detour earlier than we did. By the time we were able to take a detour, we were stuck in all the traffic that was also taking the detour. So yeah. I think you guys detoured around the detour. Yeah, we weren't using Google Maps until we heard you were stuck in traffic, and then we started navigation on Google Maps, and it told us like an hour delay if we stay on our current path 
but here's an alternate route you could try to save you some time. And we did, and it was much appreciated. Well, we were using Apple Maps, and we must have hit the scene not long after it happened. Traffic was already backed up, but when we were notified, it said it would save, I don't know, seven to ten minutes if we took an alternate route. And so we didn't take that route, and then we were at a standstill, and then it actually came back on and said, the road you're on is no longer in service. So Bethany actually, and she was driving your huge Ford F-150. She told me you call it a land barge. (laughs) I may have called it a land barge. She didn't have tail on me. So she took the land barge. And a couple of semi-trucks had separated enough. We were in the left lane. They were in the right lane. So she scooched. Scooch word. It is. She scooched between those two semis and went backward. She went north on the southbound shoulder. And we exited an on-ramp. You did. I didn't know that. To get to a detour that by then was also so backed up that we needed a detour for the detour but we were too far into it to get out of it yeah so sometimes the signs and the lights those are really just suggestions well there was no traffic getting on i can tell you that that's supposed to be a joke yeah i know because you always say that the signs are just suggestions Mm -hmm. speaking of signs are just suggestions this was an interesting turn of events in our garage today (laughs) oh my goodness so my car is not here we took my car in for a minor repair we dropped it off prior to vacation This morning, I'm not really thinking that clearly, and I walk out to my garage already running a little behind because I like to get there a few minutes early when we're meeting to run. I was meeting Suzanne and Lee for a 12-mile training run this morning, which we can talk about later if you want to. I opened the garage door, and much to my surprise, my car was not there, which it should not have been a surprise because I knew it wasn't there, but anyway... It was one of those moments. So I turned to you and was like, do you need your truck? <laughs> like, I didn't know if you were going anywhere or not. I was not. And then you came out like you were going to rearrange some stuff in the truck. I'm like, eh, I'm already late. Well, we haven't fully unpacked the truck because we still have a lot of Jacob and Shelby's beach toys in the mm-hmm. truck. Yeah. And then you told me, well, as long as you don't drive too fast. And we won't talk about you zooming by us at about 90 miles an hour. That's an exaggeration. Yeah, I don't think so. It was. Mm -hmm. Anywho, I'm like, I'm pretty sure me driving down 30 mile per hour streets in Owensboro to get to the health club to meet for my run was not going to mess up the stuff. You were taking a roundabout way of getting to your garage story. Oh, yes. (laughs) Forgot all about my garage story, thinking about being late to my run. Stressed me out even after the fact. So when I get home, I thought, well... We're going to have to drive the truck to church, so I may as well pull it into my garage. My garage. We call it my garage because... Your vehicle goes in it. Although you have overtaken my garage, pretty much. Part of it. My vehicle barely fits in the garage now because you now have your whole detached man cave. And now half of the attached garage is the annex to the man cave. Well, half of the man cave garage... Has the jet ski in it. And the mowing equipment. Your mowing equipment. I would like for the podcast listeners to recognize the fact that it is, in fact, my mowing equipment. Didn't you get it for Christmas? Or your birthday? Or Mother's Day? I'm just making it clear who mows the yard, mostly. Well, and you do a fine job of it. (laughs) 
fine job. Well, back thank to, you. Back to the garage. So I say to myself, Self, you may as well pull the truck into the attached garage. And so I do. And I was in the garage. Yep. In your sweating away on my bicycle. In your half man cave. In my garage. Mm-hmm. In the attached garage. We can no longer call it my garage because you have migrated to that garage. That's beside the point. So I pull in your truck into the attached garage because I thought that would be more convenient. Which it doesn't fully fit, so we had to leave the door open. I mean, it probably does fully fit, but I didn't pull it that close. I think we actually have parked it in the garage before, but I didn't pull it that far in. And the reason I did that is because it was pouring rain. I came home from my run drenched today, which you duly noted. And I'll just take a tangent here. When I got in the truck to go to church, I got wet because the seat was wet. It had the cover on it. The cover was wet. Oh, I thought you removed the cover when we weren't in our running clothes. No, I did remove it once I got out (laughs) at church. Once you were wet. (laughs) Well, that kind of defeats the purpose of the pad. Anyway, so... We do not shut the garage door because I did not pull the truck all the way in, which was fine. So we're backing out, and by we, I mean you. Because I had to rearrange some of the beach toys in the back seat so we could fold the seats down so that you would have a place to sit once we picked up your mother. Okay, but see, the audience doesn't know the relevance of that fact yet. Anyway, you are backing out of the garage and the garage door comes slamming down on the bed of your truck (laughs) would you now you can explain your and i'm thinking why is the garage door going down i didn't push the button and i said well the way it came down pretty sure that red cable that dangles down is caught on the top of your truck which was bewildering to me because I did not think the top of your truck had a luggage rack or anything in which that cord would catch on because I did think about that when I pulled in because our expedition that we used to own had that problem. We have had that problem before. So anyway, the release cord for the garage door. The dangly red cord. Yes. (laughs) It had gotten closed in the rear driver's side door. And hence, that was his story about having to put the seats down in the back. And so, once we figured out what it was, you made sure that I put the vehicle in park. I got out, opened the door, removed the cable, and the garage door had disconnected from the the chain that causes it to go up and down. And so, I had to hold the door up in the air and have you drive out. And then, the door came Crashing, crashing to down to the ground, which I was slowing it down, but it's quite a heavy door. But anyway, once we got home, it was an easy fix. I just didn't have time to look at it while we were trying not to be late picking up your mother to go to church. Yes, so the red cord somehow got lodged into the truck. When, when, you when shut I opened the-, the door, it dangled down, and when I closed the door, it got trapped inside. And then when I put the vehicle in reverse, the garage door did not like that. And still, at this point, we didn't. We knew it was something to do with the red, or I knew it was something to do with the red cord. But at this point, we did not know the red cord was in the door, right? Not until I got out and looked. And I thought you were going to get out with the car in reverse. And then I was getting a little nervous. That would not have been good. Yeah. So anyway. Long story. 
The garage door is working again. There's no scratches on the truck because of the bed liner in the back. Yeah. So we were talking about vacation. And I wanted to mention that Bethany and I got there first, probably by about 45 or 50 minutes, even though you guys stopped so many times and had eaten twice at a couple of McDonald's, maybe. I haven't eaten at McDonald's in a long time, but on that day, I ate there twice. And we just, Bethany and I just zoomed through. So we were hungry and we were ready for dinner, but you guys weren't there yet. So we found carts and we had all the luggage in our vehicle. We hauled all the luggage up. By the time we got the luggage into the individual rooms, it wasn't much longer you guys arrived. So you ordered food and I think you and Jacob went to actually pick up the food. So Shelby and Bethany and I took Ellie down to the beach and then to the pool, which I wasn't planning on getting in the pool. I was tired. You know, that eight and a half hour trip became the 12 hour trip. And Shelby was in the pool with Ellie and Ellie was saying, slide, slide. So yeah, the resort, the condominium we were at had a really nice curved sliding board into the outdoor pool. Very nice. Good choice picking out our accommodations. Well, thank you. So anyway, yeah, the slide was large. It was, uh, do you know how many steps there were to reach the 19. Top? Oh, you did count them. Yes. I did. Me and Ellie count them. Yeah. So I just subconsciously count steps anyway. But yes, I usually don't remember, but we climbed these steps so many times that there were 19. If I'm going up a flight of steps, once I get to the top, if you ask me how many steps there were... I can probably just subconsciously pull that and tell you. But if you ask me five minutes later, I won't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's beside the point. So Ellie wanted to go down the slide. And Shelby goes, Gra-gra! <laughs> Take Ellie down the slide. Which is you. Which the baby calls me Gra-gra. Which she just came up with that on her own. And we're just going with it. Because it's so sweet when she says it. So anyway, obviously we're on vacation. I can't tell the baby no. I have not been down the slide. I don't know anything about this slide. You're not even wet yet. Oh, no. I hadn't even touched the water. So, I ascend the 19 steps. Carrying her. Carrying. No, I did not carry her. She walked up those 19 steps. Well, she she did not volunteer to walk the 50 times I took her up the stairs. Yeah, I think Jacob kind of spoiled her to carrying Mm. her. But she walked up a number of times with Jacob, too. And then I think it just was holding up the line. So we get to the top. And, I mean, it's not a sliding board. Like, it's a legit, pretty big water slide. So it's got gushing water at the top. I sit down that gushing water at the top, and it's freezing. It was cold. And it's, I don't know, at this point, 7 in the evening. And the wind is pretty legit. So anyway, I sit down. I'm a little cold. Ellie sits down in my lap. And I'm thinking, I don't even know at the bottom of this slide, like, is the water over my head? Like, am I going to drown the baby? I had no idea. But I thought, well, surely it doesn't really go that fast. Oh, my goodness. I had on a brand new bathing suit. And let me just tell you, it was slicky pants. (laughs) Slicky pants. I slide immediately end up on my back. And the baby's, like, back is laying on my abdomen and i i do like right before we and i fly down it i mean i'm just flying down this i thing. think we have video don't we 
We do have video. Oh, yeah. I didn't know we had video, but in the meantime, Bethany had walked around to video. And fortunately, Shelby had made her way around to the bottom of the slide. So I'm barely sitting back up. <laughs> I go underwater. The baby goes underwater. And Shelby grabs the baby, which, you know, she goes underwater. I mean, she's only two, but she loves swimming. And she goes underwater with her mouth open, with her eyes open. Like, she just goes underwater and comes up and goes, again? And then goes (laughs) underwater again. So, it's not the first time she's been underwater. But I think the speed and the shock, she did not want to go down that slide again that evening. Which was fine. We finished swimming and went up the steps. The water was about four and a half feet deep. And I'm 5'4", but I was off balance, so there was no way I was finding my feet. I wasn't finding the bottom. Yeah, it was a fast slide. It it took me a while to get comfortable landing on my feet. Yeah, well, Jacob would go down it very controlled and slow if he wanted, and very fast if he wanted. I think some of it depends on the bathing suit. Well, I'm going to tell you, my bathing suit is slicky pants. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I want to talk about one more thing about the vacation before we move on in the podcast. So I was going to mention two of my favorite moments. You've already mentioned one, which was going down the sliding board with Ellie. The other was uh, Ellie getting to see the monkey eating watermelon at the zoo. This little monkey jumped from his tree and latched onto the fence right in front of us. So we were really close to him or her. Well, the funny thing was, is I looked at the monkey in the tree and I said, jump! And he jumped. And he jumped. And then he went into his little cubby hole and brought out a small piece of watermelon. And Ellie loves watermelon. And so he was just nibbling on it while we were watching. And she was still talking about that the next day. And it was captured on video. And she wanted watermelon the next day. Mm, I don't think she got watermelon, though. She didn't. We didn't have any. So I wanted to... Are you ready to move on? I mean, we could talk this whole podcast about vacation, but our listeners... By the way, we are RYR Endurance Team, and we are triathlon and endurance running coaches, and that's what this podcast is typically about. But we love talking about our grandbaby and our kids and our vacation. And our training. Yeah. So should we talk about our training real quick, or should you've got something else you want to roll with? I want to talk about one of your workouts you had before we went on vacation. Okay. I don't think we've talked about this yet. I think we talked about you were getting ready to do a workout that was going to be based off of effort instead of pace. Have we talked about that since you did it? I don't think we have. We have not talked about it on the podcast, and we have not really talked about it that much off the podcast since that happened. Well, I'll just give some backstory to this. It's been super hot in Kentucky and in a lot of places across the U.S., and so it's really difficult to hit pace targets because the conditions are so extreme and we preach to our athletes to train based on effort a lot of the time understanding that there are environmental conditions or other stressors that can impact your ability to run a a pace or or push a certain power wherever the case might be but you had done one of your workouts and just wasn't real you weren't real happy with the results and so 
I think my, my biggest issue was I was afraid I was overtraining because I was so focused on hitting my pace that I think my effort was too hard. It was more of a VO2 max effort on a lactate threshold day. And I was just getting a little worried that I was overtraining. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at your data after this effort-based run, you weren't really too far off your paces, but you weren't looking at your pace at all. You had no indication what your pace was. Is that correct? The only thing that I had showing on my watch was a timer. So it was a time-based rather than a distance-based workout. So I had seven minutes and I was supposed to go by feel. And I can't even remember now if it was... It was marathon pace. It was... Marathon effort. Marathon effort. And so I was just really trying to think about what effort could I hold. And I couldn't see my pace. I could only see the... Have seven minutes. I have six minutes, 48 seconds. Or, you know, that's what I could see on the face of my watch. Let's... That's where I wanted to take the beginning of this podcast was the idea of training off of effort rather than pace. And when I was hitting my personal bests in my marathon events, I oftentimes went off of effort. I had an idea what pace I wanted to run, but on the day of, I was really going by feel, and I would monitor my pace, and if I was a little bit ahead, I was okay with that, because I, with 30, 40 years of experience, I had a pretty good idea what my body was capable of for a long period of time. But the point I wanted to bring up in the podcast is if you're so focused on pace, you may miss out on some of your best races. You may not go as fast as you possibly could if you are a slave to the pace on your watch. Sometimes you may be able to do more than you think you are. And in a workout, it's okay every once in a while to test your limits. And in a race, every once in a while, it's a good idea to test your limits because you don't know what your limits are until you hit the limit. Yeah, I think if I were going to go out for a one-mile time trial i would just maybe want to have the distance countdown on the face of my watch and not see the pace and just see how quickly i could click that distance down to zero yeah and the same thing could be said for like a threshold test type workout where you're you're doing a 30 minute time trial on the bike or you're doing a 30 45 minute run on the road you just want to listen to your body and estimate what you're capable of sustaining, and then look at the data later. Yeah. And today's workout, are you finished talking about that? I am. So I don't want to cut this off because it's really important conversation. No, go right ahead. Yeah. I've so, got a whole lot of other things to talk about after this. Yeah, So, but this kind of ties into it. So today, I probably should have thought about it in terms of marathon effort again because it's still extremely humid outside but it was also raining which i thought was somewhat annoying but also a cooling factor and so rather than focusing on effort today i did want to see how goal pace would feel and so i was running with suzanne and lee and suzanne is one that likes to jump right in to goal pace and my body just functions differently like i have to warm into it and so 
my first mile was probably 11 seconds slower than goal pace, but I was doing four miles at goal pace. And by the time I hit my fourth mile, the overall average for the four miles was 8.59 and it felt pretty good. But I will say having been in the car 10 hours yesterday and then doing that run today, my body wasn't extremely cooperative, but we got it done. Got it done. Well, good. So we're talking about different ways of training or racing. I've been doing a little bit of research on how the Norwegian athletes train. And in particular, I'm talking about Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden, professional triathletes. And I've noticed that Lionel Sanders has picked up some of their technique for training. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. Speaking of which, those three are going to be in the PTO, Professional Triathlete Organization, Canadian Open 100K event on Sunday, July the 24th. So that'll be an exciting race to watch. Can I make a little plug for PTO? Yeah. So in our team note, which it's no secret that you're mostly the brains behind the team note, every once in a while I'll run with one. Like last week's cadence one. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not the point. But in our team note, we send out a weekly something to our team members each week. And you were talking about what PTO is doing for age group amateur triathletes. And they're really just trying to be a little bit more athlete friendly. Because the organization that has the biggest name in endurance triathlon right now has become not extremely athlete friendly and flexible and we've talked about that before that I had signed up for a half distance event and then Jacob and Shelby scheduled or planned their wedding for the same date and this was months in advance I mean this was in March and the event wasn't until September and we offered them so many suggestions like can I just bring my bike to transition the morning of or can I switch to this race which is the next weekend or like any suggestion we offered they were just no 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 so it was just no we're just taking your money and running and so like we get it it's a business they can't just for no reason have to be sending money back because it's costly to run these events but PTO is really being a lot more athlete friendly in the points that you made in the team note this week. Things like, if I can't go for a small fee, I could transfer my entry to someone else. Or if I became pregnant, which obviously I'm not going to become pregnant or ill or certain events happen. Do you you remember Abraham and Sarah in the Bible? Oh, that's not funny. I'm just pointing it out. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they will refund your money in certain circumstances. But you can just tell in all their policies, they're just trying to say, hey, listen, we're an option out there that actually realizes that athletes have lives outside of our organization and we want to honor and work with our athletes. So if any of our listeners out there are really looking for a 100K distance or, you know, it's not necessarily the same 
distances, but it just seems like a real athlete-friendly organization. Yeah, and the 100K is very close to the half distance that a lot of people are accustomed to, the 70.3. But the unique format, if I have this right, they do the age groupers on Saturday and then the professionals on Sunday. So if you stick around, you can watch the professionals. Now, if you're competing at the same time, maybe you see them blow by on the bike if it's a looped course or something. But anyway, that's just another unique aspect that I think people will enjoy. Yeah, so I would be very interested in supporting that organization. And, you know, they're also doing things to try to build their base. And, for example, if you can get three more athletes to sign up, then you get your entry for free and that type of thing. So, you know, and if four athletes wanted to get together and say, hey, Mm -hmm. we'll split three entries for four people. Yeah, or if you want to do a relay. Mm -hmm. So Jacob and Bethany and I were talking about doing a relay. Yeah, we talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, so maybe chopped, be... chopped liver, I think, was what I what I mentioned. Oh, yeah. I do remember <laughs> that. All right, so moving right along. So I was talking about the Norwegians and the different way that they are training. And there's been a few articles come out talking about how they train. And the YouTube videos that Lionel Sanders puts out, he doesn't really explain what he's doing, but... The basis behind the training is to really understand how your body is responding to the training that you're doing. And so they do blood samples during the middle of their workouts, just a finger prick, and they're testing to see how much lactate is in the blood. (laughs) I could have swore earlier today you told me they did an ear prick. It could be a finger or an ear. I'd never heard of an ear prick before. Yeah. Okay. But the idea is to push yourself to right below what they call the lactate threshold 2, but not really go over that. And then on the easy days, just keep it really low. And the unit of measure that they use is millimole per liter. So the idea on your easy days is to have a lactate level of less than one millimole per liter in your blood. Yeah. And... uh... It's just a different measurement rather than, you know, some athletes monitor heart rate or different things, but this is just a little bit more technical on how that chemistry is actually playing out in individual bodies. Right. So it's an interesting concept, and it has been very successful for the the two Norwegians that I mentioned, and Lionel Sanders has started incorporating this into his training, and it's really neat to see his wife partnering with him in his training and helping him with his blood tests and stuff. Anyway, it's pretty cool. But uh, it'll be exciting to see how those three compete next weekend. Hey, if you need me to prick your ear while you're training, I can do that. All right, I'll let you know. (laughs) Some other news of things going on. The World Championship track and field is going on in Eugene, Oregon. It's been a long time since... It has taken place in the U.S., and so if you're into track and field or you're looking for some motivation, go check out some of the videos of the events on YouTube. Pretty exciting. I think the best thing about watching these videos, especially if you're new to running or even if you're not new to running, is just 
watch the 1600 or 3200 or whatever kind of distance race you want to watch and just look at the form and look at how the leg turnover looks and what the arms look like and pick out your favorite athlete and just try to visualize him or her while you're running. Yeah. While I was biking this morning in the garage, after getting caught up on the Tour de France, I was watching some of the world championships. So there was one runner in the hurdles that had a really unusual form that I would not recommend anybody adopting. It looked like he was overstriding on every step, but he ran off and left everybody in his heat and he slowed down near the finish. But it just didn't look right. It just he was overstriding, but it was successful for him. When I was coming in the garage with the truck, <laughs> we've already mentioned that story. You were watching hurdles and somebody crashed and burned as I was <laughs> Just walking in the door. Yeah, it was the same race that I'm talking about. There was a athlete. You know, this is the world championships. And he falls on the very first hurdle running around the track. And then he hits the second hurdle. But after that, he recovered. He made it to the finish line. He didn't place. But this, that was not the guy that was overstriding. Hurdles takes a lot of technique. It also takes a fair amount of guts. Mm-hmm. Moving right along. So while I was riding the bike this morning, I got caught up on the Tour de France, and I just wanted to bring up some of the unusual highlights of the Tour de France so far. On one of the stages, the race had to be paused because protesters had blocked the road, and there was one guy ahead in the breakaway by like seven minutes. And so he had to stop, and then the peloton caught up, and they had to stop, well... The race organizer did what they should do. They gave the guy a seven-minute head start and then let everybody else go. But you just never know what's going to happen in the Tour de France. Do we know what they were protesting? Were they protesting the tour? They were protesting the environmental crisis of the world. Well, you would think they wouldn't protest that at a biking event. Trying to get some TV coverage. I guess. And some jail time. (laughs) And at one point, a dog ran out into the street, causing a pileup of bike riders. If you're going to be spectating the tour, keep your dog on a leash. One of the riders, Thibaut Pino, he was riding up a incline, and it was crowded, but it was also an area of the course where the members of the team staff could hand off feed bags to the riders. A team held out a feed bag, not seeing Thibaut Pino, and it hit Thibaut Pino right in the face. He had to pull over to the side of the road and regain his composure and then continue again. Seems like that'd be some kind of foul. It was foul. Yes, it was. I don't know if there's any penalties involved, though. And then after one of the stages, Wild Ben Art has just been super in the tour for the Yumbo Vismo team. He's leading the sprint competition. He has double the second place riders points in the sprint competition but after one of the stages he was making his way to the team bus on his bike of course and he realized he had a flat tire so he pulled over and asked one of the fans if they had a tire pump he could use which a lot of the fans ride their bike to where they're going to be watching and so the fan helped him get his tire 
pumped up in Walt Van Art gave him the green jersey that he just got off the podium with. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Quite the souvenir of the tour. For sure. And one other unusual event, there was a rider who had a mechanical issue just yards from the finish line, and he pushed his bike across the finish line. You just (laughs) never know what's going to happen in the tour. You don't. It's been an awesome race. There's been some changing of the leader in the general classification in the yellow jersey competition. The king of the mountain competition has changed places several times. The youngest rider has been consistent from day one. How does he compare to the general classification field? The youngest rider is the person who won the Tour de France the previous two years. So he's currently in second place overall. And he's in the white jersey. So he wins both? He has won, I believe, the yellow jersey, the white jersey, and the polka dot jersey in the past. Right, but if you win the yellow jersey, does then the next youngest rider get the youngest rider award? They get the jersey for the next day, but they don't they don't get the award. They just get to wear the jersey. Does that make sense? I guess what I'm asking is at the end of a race, if I win the Masters... The general then... classification... Oh, you're talking about age-wise. Yeah, if I win the Masters category, then the next person who's also in my age group would move up to first place. No. Okay. If you are young and you win the general classification, you get... Both. The award for the youngest and the award for winning it and the award for the KOM or the Sprint, whatever. You can have as many of the awards as you earn. As of today, I think they have finished... 14 of the 21 stages, but there's really only 20 that are really competitive. But we've got another week of excitement to go. Another week of excitement. It has provided lots of dialogue between you and Jacob. Seems you two have enjoyed discussing the strategy mm-hmm. of the tour. And Bethany and I, on the ride home, she rode with me back from Gulf Shores, and you rode with Jacob and Shelby and Ellie. And so, I, I want to say on the way back, Jacob was over the stopping every 90 minutes. He slapped a diaper on that baby and we rock and rolled. Mm-hmm. So Bethany and I spent a little bit of time talking about the tour. I was telling her some of the exciting stories and I told her that when I saw her today that I had caught up watching the tour and she said, well, did anything new exciting happen today? And I said, well, not really. <laughs> I still enjoyed watching it, though. Hey, but at least she feigned interest. She did. Or maybe she generally, genuinely was interested. All right, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was it was released in the news this week that Iliad Kipchoge is racing the Berlin Marathon again, and he has the world record on that Berlin course. It's a fast course. I think several times the world record has occurred on that course. And I was just wondering, what is it about racing in Germany that makes it fast? Because if we switch gears and talk about triathlon, Challenge Roth is in Germany, and it has the record for the fastest men's and women's full-distance non-draft triathlon. So something about Germany. Hmm, We should go to Germany sometime. Well, if we're going to do all the world majors, I'm sure we will go to Germany. Oh, boy. But 
if you ever decide you want to sign up for Challenge Roth, you got to be ready because it can fill up in less than 60 seconds, 5,000 spots. I thought back in 2011 that Boston registration was really fast, but it wasn't that fast. That's all I had to talk about today. What else do you have? I think I've covered everything I wanted to mention. Just wondering if you had a Bible verse for today. Yeah, so here's a scripture that we can share today. It is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.